everyone. I'm Bailey. I'm Drew. And I'm Lacey. And, and we're, we're sarcastic, sarcastic, so let's get sinister. What are you thinking? Um, but I did, I wanted to tell you guys some stuff real quick. I made a list of things that I wanted to tell you. Oh, cool. Um, um, well, first off, hi, everybody. Hi. Oh, is this oh, part of the... Hi. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're recording, so we might as well say hi to like, our listeners. I figured she was going to cut us out. No, I'm not going to cut this out. I saw mm-hmm. a TikTok of Neil deGrasse Tyson, Tyson doing, like, an interview that I thought you guys would think was interesting. Who? Um, Neil deGrasse science. Tyson. Science, guy. science guy. You'd know him if you saw him. Not Bill Nye. The other science guy. Hold on. I'm in the anyway, generation I'm going to Bill Nye. I'm sorry. He's like the same generation. <laughs> I, um, I'm sorry. I was a Bill guy. Your dad shares uh, all of his stuff on Facebook. Yeah. He was saying how... Um, so... <laughs> They, we know now that the plague came from fleas. Yes. And they were on rats. And that's how people got sick. But people who had cats kept the rats away. And therefore, mm-hmm. they weren't getting the plague and weren't getting sick. Yeah, I so, saw this one. So that's why people started thinking that those were people who had cats were witches. And that's why we still associate cats with witches today. Did you guys both see that TikTok? I don't think I saw the TikTok, but I heard it somewhere. Did Bailey maybe... Did you tell us that when you were telling us about black cats? Yes. Ah. Before I dive this... into, um... The, like, the... You creepiness. Dove Yeah, I dove into the creepiness of black cats and what happened specifically during the plague with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I thought I remember, um, that was a very fun... That was a fun fact. Yeah. Um, what else did I want to share? Did you guys hear about the, um... The husband and wife parasailing accident? No. No. So this, like, this husband, his wife, his son, and his nephew went on a boat. And you know that parasail that they pull along with the boat? Mm -hmm. Well, the husband was like, you go first. So the wife, the son, and the nephew, and the son and the nephew were, like, maybe, like, ten. They all went up at the same time. And then the wind started to pick up, and it started to pull the boat out to sea. And it was just a little boat, so it shouldn't go out to, like that far out yeah. into the ocean. So the captain of the boat was like, we need to cut the line. Because they tried pulling the parasail in, but the wind was too strong, so they couldn't. So they cut the line, and they told the husband, don't worry. They'll fly into the bridge, and the bridge will catch the parasail, and then they'll be okay. Jesus. Well, that's exactly what happened, but mm-hmm. mom died, and oh. the two kids were severely injured. Wow. And so Somebody's cap- going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, the captain is being charged with, like, manslaughter. Yeah. First, but, like, what do you do? If he didn't do that, they'd well, be Well, I was going to say, him. when you started tell- telling us that, I was like, I don't think that a boat that can be blown out to sea should be pulling parasailers. I think your boat should have to be a little bit stronger, have a stronger motor or something, that wind won't be like, oh, because your parent... I don't know. That felt... If- I'm mad, and I don't know who to direct that at. <laughs> She's got undirected <laughs> anger. Yeah. Um, did we, last... um, 
Have we talked about Terrifying. the like whole Titanic submarine thing? We I have, really we haven't seen each other since then. <laughs> um, I've really been enjoying a lot of the memes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, my favorite was can you imagine if they didn't die and they came back and saw what everybody was saying about them? <laughs> Brandon sent me a TikTok and it was like a construction worker and he was like working hard so my boss can afford a submarine trip. <laughs> I like the one that was like Titanic 2, Rich People 0. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just saw one um, last night. It was like one of those like slideshows on like TikTok and it was like what like it looked like it was like 250 will like get you in each state. And, like you go through and it's totally normal. <clears throat> and then like all of a sudden it's like Atlantic Ocean submarine for two fi- two hundred and fifty thousand. Oh boy, yeah. So I'm having a really good time. Alone now. I the, think we should just always leave it alone. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to share was: Have you guys heard about like when people? It's a little supernaturally. When people Ooh. are in accidents, they report like spirits coming and like sitting with them until first responders arrive. No, but that does sound like something that would happen. Well, I saw, like, a TikTok, and this girl was talking about how she was in a really bad car accident where she was, like, bleeding from the head. Mm-hmm. And um, her boyfriend got out of the car and was, like, stumbling around. And she was still in the car kind of in shock. And some guy came up to the window and was like, Hey, I'm a retired firefighter. Help is on the way you need to put something on your head to stop the bleeding. And so she, like, put, like, a rag or cloth on her head and just sat there until help came. And in the ambulance, she was like, who was the guy that was, like, talking to me? And they were like, we were the first ones there. What are you talking about? And she was like, it was a spirit. Hold on a second. Let me ask my guest a question. Um, Hey, Mom, am I making this up? Or when you rolled your Tahoe, wasn't didn't you tell me that there was a guy who like talked to you or helped you or something and then when everybody was there he like wasn't yeah when i rolled my top can you guys hear her Mm -hmm. yeah but it's not gonna pick up well for the podcast i'll 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 tell her take the microphone closer to her when i rolled my tahoe i came to land on my side and unhooked my seatbelt, dropped myself and standing on the other side of the windshield was a man in a long black coat and a hat and because I said to him, am I going to be on fire? And he said, put your keys back in, turn the ignition, put the window down, hand me the keys. So I did that, handed them to me, went back. The hatch opened. He was able to open it. And then he kept telling me to get out, and I got out. And when I got out, nobody was there. When people were stopping after that, <clears throat> I said, where's the man that helped me get out of the car? And they said, there's nobody here. Yeah, Straight from Mama E. Hi, Mama I forgot Hi, all Mama. about that until you were starting to tell us. Well, what's weird is, so I saw that TikTok like a couple days ago, and then yesterday I was drawing blood at the hospital, and some guy just randomly started telling me about how something happened to him where he was in a car accident, and a, a, somebody showed up and was like, hey, you're going to be okay. Help is on the way. Just relax. And I was like, that's really weird. Because you know how, like, if you Google something, you'll see a Facebook ad about it because mm-hmm. targeted advertising? Yeah. I was like, is this <laughs> The spirits heard you. Saw that you watched the TikTok and they were like, let's really freak her out. Well, Lou said the simulation is breaking down. <laughs> because right before, I told him how I was messing around on Custom Ink to make like a shirt for the show. And then I was taking blood from a patient yesterday in their hospital room. 
And I turn around and there's a commercial for custom ink. And I was like, how did they find me? Whoever's watching your life movie has been yeah. having a lot of targeted ads lately. It's yeah. like Sims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's breaking through. They're just maybe, not making it very subtle Maybe anymore. the people with the accent are like everyone, like the, that person's a guardian angel. That would be cool. That would Mom's be nice. Mom's got a guy in the trench coat. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, what does that say about Mama E with her? She has a CIA agent. Oh, I was picturing because she said maybe it's a cold day. I was picturing like Abe Lincoln. Why would Abe Lincoln? Not he's bored. Not the Abe Lincoln, but like someone in his era who's walking around in a black jacket and a top hat. She's thinking that, a CIA agent working around with a top hat on. Would have looked real suspicious if it was actually Abe Lincoln. She would have known who that was for sure. Okay. Like yours? Your sisters? Okay. Oh. Mine's mine. My part is pretty short. Yeah, mine's not too long either. It's fun though. Mine's pretty short too. I just it's it's it happened in France, so I'm gonna have to like look up some. <laughs> Ooh, mine's Ireland. Ooh, well, I had to mine Google just a is Chicago. Words. Oh, Ooh, we got to translate? No. <laughs> um, so, happy um, National Sisters Day. Yay! Woo! Um, I believe that it is August 8th or something? It so is August 6th. Ah. National Sisters Day is August 6th. Sixth, six, 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 and told rules, it's another thing to, like, notice the pattern and just learn it yourself. Yeah, you're very smart. You're so smart. Cool. Who um, wants to do the first set of sisters? So, well, so, to celebrate Sisters Day, mm-hmm. we are doing a Sinister Sisters episode. Yay, Smell. We are all sisters. Yay! Finally. Not, not to no. each other. Get out yeah. of the family, Lacey. You're so not a part of it. To worm my way in. I am a sister. I have three siblings. Bailey is a sister. She has three siblings. And Lacey is a sister. She has two. I am a sister. One and a half. I'm I have also... two sisters-in-law now. Sister-in-laws. Sisters-in-law. Oh, you do. I have two of those. Yeah. I thought you were trying to say that Levi got married, and I was like, no. Oh. No, but I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but I think it's funny, so I bring it up. When Brandon and I got married, Levi thought that Paula was also his mother-in-law. And then he was really sad when we were like, no, <laughs> she's Lacey's. So, I feel like Paula's so, the type of person who'd be like, yeah. 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 Paula was, she married. calls him like her almost-in-law, I think. Aww. Yeah. All right. Bailey, um, I feel like, has a lot of in-laws now. Yeah, I have four brother-in-laws, uh, one sister-in-law, one soon-to-be sister-in-law, and then a bunch of, like, girlfriends-ish in-laws. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, Someone's so... upset on your end, Drew. <laughs> can you hear her? I can a just, little bit. Just right then I heard it a little bit. But not... It wasn't loud. Okay. For listeners, I'm just... I'm not just ignoring my child. She's my neglecting husband. her children. Let them cry. It's about sisters, <laughs> not kids. <laughs> it's not Mother's Day. That you know was what? She... She has two kids. They can take care of each other. They are mm-hmm. sisters. They should be looking out for each other. Yeah, that's okay. That teaches um, confidence and sure. uh, individualism. Or individuality. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's true. Anyway, right. um, so mm-hmm. let me see. Who are your people? The Scissor Sisters. The what? The Scissor Sisters. Is Does that, that their, sound sinister? Is that their that's last the name? Them. No, that's what the media dubbed them. Oh, okay. Do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. You guys ready? Yes. Sure Alright. The Scissor Sisters. And before I start, I would like to let you know, scissors aren't involved in this case, so I don't know why they called them that, but the Scissor Sisters. Not to be confused with the band, the Scissor Sisters. I learned about them when researching this. There's and I had a couple too. very confusing moments. Um, but they're two separate entities. Like when the band started and what their pop song is. Yeah, I was Googling Scissor Sister stuff and I was like, when did they make a band? When did they have time to do this? <laughs> that's, that's when in prison they made that yeah. band. Alright, so everybody ready? Yes. Mm-hmm. Alright, so my um, case takes place in Ireland in 2005 so i will tell you i did look up how to pronounce some things but you know what's really kind of stupid is when you look up some words from other countries how to pronounce it google will be like here's the american pronunciation and here's the british pronunciation i was like first of all i'm looking for the irish pronunciation which isn't necessarily going to be the british version and don't americanize it for me tell me the right way to say it because otherwise i'm still saying it wrong um, that's all to say I'm going to say things wrong. And are you, I would are like... you off of your soapbox yet? Like, Jesus Christ. I'll come back to it. Okay. Um, I'm going to do my best, but there's some words that maybe not. Okay, so, Ireland. Side note. Sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to let you know that um, we do have some Irish... Do we? Listeners? I thought we did. Oh. That's why I wanted them to know that I tried to figure out how to we... pronounce the words, and if I say it wrong, it's not for a lack of trying. On Spotify, we do not. Sorry, it was Iceland, not Ireland. Fun! If you're listening from Iceland, hey. I want to go to Iceland. Yeah, it's I would go beautiful to Iceland. there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, once I'm a minute or so in, I'm going to share my pictures with you guys that I have, and I'll just read off my phone. Ready? I've been ready. Cool. Um, on March 30th, 2005, a leg wearing a sock was spotted floating in the Royal Canal in Dublin. Bailey. What kind of suck? I don't know, but I think... I thought I you were going to little... say what kind of leg. <laughs> a male leg. Oh. I feel a little bad about this, but I just think it's funny that it had a sock on still. It kind of... And I it... don't know why it's funny to me, but it's a little bit funny. It just seems it like more comfortable. Just a sock. I feel like if I was dismembering a body <laughs> to throw in a canal, I would probably take all the clothes off. I wouldn't throw it in with clothes on. Um, this person had clothes on, which ended up being how they were identified. That's why you gotta make it first. Uh-huh. Just another reason to get somebody naked. So, um, passersby spotted the leg. 
divers were sent in to retrieve the rest of the body, and they retrieved seven parts in total. Um, the head and the penis were missing. The police force, which in Ireland is called the Guardi, if I'm saying that correctly, used the media to try to identify him because his head was missing, um, and somebody actually recognized the t-shirt that he was wearing and reported to Crime Stoppers. So the man who recognized the t-shirt um, identified the victim as Farah Swale Noor and connected the man to a woman named Kathleen Mulhall. Okay? So, I'm going to share my screen with you guys now because I can start doing some pictures. I don't remember how to do it. I'm a teacher. You got a big enough bite there, Drew? Jesus. Can you guys see my screen? <laughs> no, I can't see your no. screen. Why? I don't know. I'm still staring at Drew's face. How about now? No. Oh, yes. yes. Cool. <laughs> sort of. It's living. This was the victim. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. He's, um, different shades well, in each shadow, photo. lighting, and also season. Sometimes people get darker in the sun. Okay. That was him for real. Okay. So, he, this is Ferris Swale Noor. He was born in 1965. He was 40 at the time of his murder. He arrived in Ireland in 1996. When he arrived in Ireland, he told people he was from Somalia and that his family had been killed during the Somali Civil War. This was a lie. He was from Kenya, and his family was alive and well in Kenya, hmm. including a wife and children. We have a oh. listener from Kenya. Oh. Hi, Kenya listener. Hey. Um, they didn't really give an explanation as to why he lied, but it reminded me of when I did Jack the Ripper, and the one victim told people that, like, she and her husband and kids were on the one ship when it sank, but she survived, and it was just this whole made-up story. Yeah. Anyway, he was actually going to be deported a little while after he arrived in Ireland, but was granted Irish citizenship because he had fathered an Irish-born child. Now, during his time in Ireland, he was not a model citizen. He faced eight charges of disorder and assault. In 1997, he raped a mentally disabled 16-year-old girl and got her pregnant. Is that um, the child he claimed? I'm not sure which one, because he also had children with two other women who also said that he had raped them. Oh. Yes. One of the sexual assault charges involved nice. a knife. He was convicted three times, but served no jail time. Hmm. So, I'm not really like feeling bad that he's dead. Not an awesome person. Um, the police described him as being particularly violent towards women, which I think his criminal history shows very well. So this, I don't find um, it surprising that his penis was cut off. Yes. The witness who identified him told the police that he was connected to a woman named Kathleen Mulhall. So the police went and spoke with Kathleen, her ex-husband, John, and two of her children, Linda and Charlotte. All of them denied knowledge of his murder. The, investi the investigation wasn't moving very quickly. However, in August, Linda Mulhall, their older daughter, contacted the police she gave them a voluntary statement in her home where she told them everything. I'm going to tell you guys everything. So, Kathleen Mulhall, who was 53 at the time that Noor was killed, they were married. They had six children together. Three sons and three daughters. Don't worry about them yet. Um, three sons and three daughters. They were from South Dublin. Evidence came out at the time of the trial that John was abusive. 
during their marriage and evidence would later emerge she was also abused by her parents so a pattern of abuse in her life she and john had divorced and in 2002 kathleen got involved with nor okay now these are our sister sisters their daughters who are involved linda who if you guys are looking at my pictures has the longer hair can i side note real quick yeah the makeup is very clearly like early 2000s like the full like and the eyeliner eyebrows. just at the eyes and the eyebrows oh god sorry <laughs> that's okay yeah. I have that's mom that's Kathleen she carried Doesn't on the she eyebrows look like a mob boss wife I was thinking the girls look like I would I could see them being involved in the mob but yeah, yeah. she's definitely in the mob yeah um, so Linda, she's the older daughter. She was born in 1975. She was 30 at the time of the murder. She left school early. She didn't graduate high school or their version of high school. She had four kids. At some point, she split with the kid's dad. Not sure when that happened, but she started dating a man named Wayne Kinsella, who was abusive to her and her children. He was um, investigated after it came to light that he beat her kids with an electrical flex, which is conduit. Um, so he was investigated, social services took the kids away, and he actually served seven years in jail for this. In 2011, which is well after this case, after he was out of jail, he killed a man who he mistakenly believed to be a member of a gang. He and his nephew killed this guy with a knife and a machete. So the pattern of abuse in her mom's life seemed to have continued, that cycle continued with Linda. Um, Linda was also a heroin addict and had a history of alcohol abuse as well, and in 1993 had been convicted for larceny. Then we have Charlotte, who is the younger sister. She was born in 84, so she was 21 at the time of the murder. She also had a history of drug and alcohol abuse. She had a history of prostitution, and she was charged with criminal damage in 2005, which is the same year that the murder took place, but I couldn't find a lot of information about that. Um... At this time, the sisters were living together in Kilclare Gardens, and I'm not sure if Linda had custody of her children. Not really important. It's just, I was trying to look up a lot of stuff here, but a lot of the information, even though it's kind of recent, was focused on the murder, and I couldn't find as much about their backgrounds as you would have thought I would be able to, but whatever. On March 20th, 2005. Mm -hmm. What'd you say, Drew? I said sometimes that happens. Yeah. Well, you can't, like, find a lot. Yeah. March 20th, 2005. This was St. Patrick's weekend. Um, they were hanging out in Dublin center, City Center. It was the daughters, Linda Charlotte, and Kathleen and Noor. So the four of them. They bought a bottle of vodka, they bought some Coke, and they were walking around drinking. Party atmosphere, everybody's having a good time. At one point, they stopped, and the women all took some ecstasy. Oh. Yes. So then they head to Kathleen's apartment in Summerhill. So hold on. Here we go. So here's Dublin kind of zoomed in. Um, their house was right about here. Okay. So they head to her house in Summerhill. Um, they did some more ecstasy. And Kathleen crushed some into Noor's drink. Now it's unclear. It was unclear to me if he was like, yeah, I'd like some, put it in my drink. Or if she was like, I'm just going to slip this in there. But his was crushed in his drink. They were sitting around. They were hanging out. They said they were buzzing. They were having a good time. While they're hanging out, Noor put his arm around Linda's waist, was whispering, she said dirty things. She wouldn't give details, like dirty things in her ear, was being inappropriate, would not 
take his hands off of her and started kind of this huge argument. Kathleen and he were screaming at each other. She was saying, leave my daughter alone. Charlotte's yelling for him to leave her sister alone. Um, all kinds of yelling and screaming. And um, the girls say that at one point in all the screaming, Kathleen said, just kill him for me. So Charlotte picked up a box cutter and slashed him across the throat. He stumbled into a bedroom. At this point, Linda grabbed a hammer and hit him in the head several times. And Charlotte proceeded to stab him over 20 times. While this is going on, Kathleen is watching. Now we have the cleanup. So the sisters dragged his body into the bathroom. They severed his head, limbs, and penis using a kitchen knife and a hammer. This took several hours. Um, and Linda said in later interviews that she can't get rid of the smell of his body while they were cutting him up. They that's put such his a body challenge part- for her. Yeah, that's tough. They put his body parts in plastic bags and threw them in the Royal Canal. This took several trips back and forth from the house to the Royal Canal. So here's a picture. So Summerhill, this area is Summerhill. You can see that this is the Royal Canal, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't know where they threw the body parts in, but it said that the leg was spotted about 100 yards from this Croke Park right here. So they walked to the canal, threw the body parts in. They decided, all three of them helped with this, by the way. Kathleen didn't cut him up. She did help with disposing of the body parts and then cleaning the bathroom. They decided they didn't want to throw the head in because they wanted to prevent identification. The head has never been recovered, and there are two different stories about what happened to the head. So the story that Linda told the police when she originally gave her statement is that they took a bus to Tala, which over here, um, together, so they're on the bus with this bag with a head in it, walked through a shopping center to Sean Walsh Memorial Park, walked for quite a while. Eventually, Charlotte dug a hole, and they buried the head. Kathleen threw the weapons into a nearby pond, the knife that they used, like the box cutter, they slashed him with the knife they used to cut him up, the hammer. A few days later, Linda went back with her son's backpack, dug the head up, put it in the backpack, moved it to a different field, broke it up with a hammer, and reburied it. Later, when she was in jail, she told inmates that she had smashed the head into pieces and put them in various trash cans in Phoenix Park. So, couldn't tell you which one's true, but they never found the head or the penis. So, in August is when Linda told the police that this happened at her home. September, Kathleen fled the country, left her daughters behind to deal with this. And in December of 2005, their father, John Hall, killed himself when all the details came to light. In May 2006, Charlotte gave birth to a son. This doesn't really have anything to do with the murder. I just thought it was interesting because she, I did some math and assuming the baby was born at a healthy nine months, she was pregnant. She got pregnant in August when it was coming out that they had did this. So anyway, uh, the trial started in October 2006 and the judge said, quote, this is the most grotesque case of killing that has occurred within my professional lifetime. Linda and Charlotte both pled not guilty. And I'm confused about this because Linda gave a whole statement at her house and told them everything that happened, but pled not guilty. Anyway, um, Linda's defense was provocation. And so she was found guilty of manslaughter, whereas Charlotte was found guilty of murder. Charlotte was given a life sentence and Linda was given 15 years. Um, Linda appealed the severity of her sentence. She said that it was passed without psychiatric evaluation, but her appeal failed 
Charlotte requested leave to appeal her conviction. Their argument was that the judge pressured the jury after the foreman said that they were deadlocked. However, this was denied because apparently the defense didn't raise any objections about this during the trial. And they said the jury was, in fact, not pressured. So, both women were sent to Mountjoy Women's Prison in Dublin. In 2008... Oh, did I put this on there? I don't know. I'll have to grab it and show it to you guys. In 2008, a picture leaked of Charlotte holding a knife to a male prisoner's throat. So, hold on one second. Let me just... I want to show you because it's, like, so kind of absurd. Because she's in jail for uh, killing a man with a knife. Supposedly. Sure. Well, no, that's why she's in jail. Yeah. I don't know if she did it, but... Okay, can you guys see that? Oh, she's joking! Fun. What are you talking yeah, about? They're both really... smiling. Right, it, it looks she... like it's a fun joking picture. They were like working... a witch. <laughs> they were working in the jail kitchen, but the, I don't know, people who make these decisions were like, you are in jail because you slashed somebody's throat and then stabbed him. You can't just hold a knife to a... And this was very embarrassing for the jail because they had had an issue with prisoners getting cell phones, like smuggling cell phones in, and this was taken on a prisoner's cell phone and then posted online. So the whole thing was a little bit scandalous for the jail. It was very embarrassing for them. And she ended up being moved to Limerick Prison after this. Um, in 2000, February 2008, Kathleen voluntarily returned to Ireland. She had been in England this whole time. She came to Ireland. She was given five years for giving false information about Nora's whereabouts and for impeding an arrest. Um, And then just some kind of side information for you. They have a brother named James. James had six children of his own, and when Linda went to jail, he took in her four children. And in 2008, he pled guilty to robbing two prostitutes. He said that he did it to support the kids. Because he's got ten. Yeah, that's a lot of kids. So obviously, rob a sex worker. Um, Linda was released from jail in 2018. Shortly after her release, she OD'd at her house and was rushed to the hospital where she was treated and survived. But um, sources say, like the close sources say that we don't actually have a name for, that she was struggling with acclimating to life outside of jail. Um, Her daughter, Nikita, posted a pretty long post on Facebook when her mom was released. Um, Lots of quotes here. Her mom took a dirty rapist off the streets. He was a murderer, rapist, and woman beater. And she said they wouldn't let him get away with raping another woman. And it seemed like their defense was a lot of, we had to kill him because he was going to rape Linda. Or a lot of, he deserved it. Yeah. Um, I will come back to that. But um, And then Kathleen... Has So Kathleen's out of jail. She was given five years in 2008. She's out. She said in an interview, I only talk with Charlotte. She is my only child and Andrew is my only son. So she's like estranged from all of her children. And apparently she's did in a couple different interviews. She doesn't understand why Linda doesn't want to have anything to do with her. Kind of all a mess. Um, I want to, I want to put this out there. This guy was uh, like a really piece of shit human being. Um, I don't for a second think that they killed him because he was a bad person and they were like, he's a bad person, we have to stop him. I think they killed him because they were drunk and high and got in an argument and things got a little bit out of hand. And they justified Um, it by saying that he was a bad person? Right. And they're like, well, 
and their family's like, he was an awful person and deserved to die. Okay, I agree with you, but I don't think they did this for any kind of noble reason. No, especially because, like, I mean, they were associating with him prior to murdering him. So right. if they thought he was that bad of a person, why would you... They were hanging out, drinking and doing pills, walking around Dublin celebrating St. Patrick's weekend. He forgot yeah. the cocaine. Probably. Um, <laughs> just seems like a... Seems like there was definitely like a cycle of abuse and drug use in the family that was just being perpetuated. And, you know... But anyway, they never used scissors. The only reason I think they call them the Scissor Sisters is because they cut him up. But they never used scissors, and they never did find his penis. That's kind of that's kind Would of. Would you a, want to? Or is that... I mean, I personally, I know I don't want his penis. I honestly, I don't think that there would be much left of it. I feel like fish and stuff. But like, well, it's there's no bone, so it would be, you know, would have de- 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 what's the word degraded. That's what I was thinking too, but I don't decompose, decompose quickly. Yeah. Especially being in the water. And there yeah. there wouldn't I wouldn't think that there'd be much left of it. Yeah. Head and penis never found. The head That's you'd it. find a skull. Charlotte um For is teeth. still in jail, but she may be getting out soon. Because you know, when you have your life sentence, it's like twenty five years or whatever. Mm-hmm. She has had like supervised visits out of jail. She's had like temporary release, which I guess That's... is a thing that they do. Yeah. Ireland's um, wild. <laughs> they, well, yeah. they did that in Orange is the New Black, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were, like, allowed to leave. You got, like, a... Weekend pass. Like a day pass, pass kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. But they said that they've been increasing the number she's been getting, and the idea is that it's in preparation for her to be released I at mean, some point in the next year or so. That kind of makes sense, because, like, what you were saying, how, like, that you don't think that that... Or they don't think that that girl adjusted well to outside life mm-hmm. but if they ease into it yeah maybe be a little bit mm-hmm. yeah, less so. of a shock shell shock mm-hmm. yep so that's the scissor sisters thank you for sharing thank you so You're much thank you for listening Bailey did you want to go next um can we take a quick intermission while I get some uh pronunciation okay alright are we ready to butcher some french Oh, yeah. How about that intro? I think that um, Lacey did a French one, I did a French one, so it's only fair that... Uh... Mine's going to be the worst. So, okay. I mean, like, French pronouncing-wise. Um, so, buckle in. Click! Oh, wow, like <laughs> Dorks. Anyway. Um, what? Go for it. Oh, thanks. Okay. So, I'm going to be talking about the, uh, the Pepin? Pop, pop, pop. Pepin? Uh, yeah. Sisters. Pepin. Um, I didn't look that up in French, so we're just going to go with the Pepin sisters. I think it's Pepin. Okay. Um, so Christine and Leah Pepin are, uh, two French maids that snapped and went too far with their employers. Oh. Little foreshadowing. Was that you who said, ooh? Ooh. Oh, I thought it was your mom. <laughs> I was like, she's... We got a live audience in the studio today. Dear, she's eating cereal and listening. Oh. 
Okay. Um, so, Christine was the oldest girl out of the two. Um, she was born March 8th, 1905. Um, her little sister Leah was born September 15th, 1911. Um, they grew up in villages in La Maz, France. I think that's how you say it. Um, they had a difficult upbringing. The girls were bounced from family members and, like, orphanages as a result of the breakdown of their parents' marriage. Um, their father was an, al- was an alcoholic and accused by their mom of raping, um, em- Emilia, I think, um, their older sister, who would later become a nun. With all the childhood trauma and craziness, the girls became very dependent on one another and inseparable. Um, they gave off an eerie impression as the two sisters looked as though they could be, like, telepathic and talking that way to each other, um, especially since they, like, rarely spoke to people. Um, they started working in houses as maids, always preferred to work together, Uh, They rarely went out except to attend church on Sundays and run errands for their employers. 1926, they were working as, or they started working as live-in maids in the mansion of Renee Lancelin? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, We're just going to name him. We're going to keep the first names because the last name is just complicated for me. So, yeah. Renee uh, was a retired uh, solicitor um, or lawyer. I saw in one spot, too. I'm not sure the difference. Renee lived with his wife, um, Leonie, and one of their daughters, Genevieve. Genevieve was 27. Um, They did have an older daughter who was married but moved out of the house. Um, At this time... Christine was 27 and Leah was 21, just to give everyone ages of everybody. Um, so the family lived in a two-story townhouse um, in the city of Lamaze, and by all outside accounts, the family treated the sisters well. They ate the same food as the family, lived in a heated room, um, and were even paid standard wages of the time. The girls were described as professional, but very quiet and they kept to themselves and appeared to have no interest in anyone or anything but each other. They could just be introverts. Okay. I'm just saying, it's like, people are <laughs> no. like, oh, they're so weird, they don't go out. Well, I think it also, like, you can look through, they, like, bounced around, which is why I yeah. took the time to, like, mention that, because, like, they obviously were very dependent on each other. They probably were the only two that they could count on when they were growing up. So that just stuck. Um, but I mean, I'm not saying they're weird. Anyway, moving on. Um, they were obligated to work 14 hours a day uh, and only had half a day off a week. So just give everyone. Yeah, it's, it's the early True. 1900s. It's France. They're maids. They're living maids. Um, the family was described as the envy of every French upper-class household for having such dedicated and hard-working domestic help. Which you can tell how fancy they are because they use domestic help instead of maids. Like, anyway. The verbiage. Yeah. Um, that being said, the girls did appear to have, like, an atypical relationship with their employers. 
neither one of the women uh, had ever spoken to Renee in the seven years that they worked for them, and they only received orders from his wife, and even those were given through, like, written instructions. So, a little weird. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Leonie was also a woman that demanded perfection. She's the wife of the household. Uh, she routine, routine, routinely? she routinely yeah, performed uh, white glove tests on the furniture to confer, confirm that a furniture had been dusted. If anyone doesn't Run. know what that is, it's essentially you put on like a white cotton glove and just like wipe the mantle or something or an edge and see if there's dust. Oh, all right. So I'm going to paint a beautiful, lovely picture for you. Okay. Yes, please. Okay. February 2nd, 1933. It was a dark and stormy day. Leonie and uh, Genevieve were out shopping before they were going uh, to dinner at a family friend's house. Um, They were to go directly to that family friend's home, uh, but instead they stopped back at their house first. Um, The maids were running errands themselves that day, uh, one of which they needed to pick up uh, the iron from a repair shop, um, like the, like, iron for clothes, Um, and they, when they got back to the mansion, they plugged the iron in to, like, test it, uh, and it blew a fuse, so the power went out in the house, the iron was also broken, um, and it looked like in sources, they didn't seem too concerned about this, because... By the time the family was supposed to return, they wouldn't probably be, like, turning on the lights or anything. They wouldn't need the iron. So they were like, whatever, we'll fix this in the morning. However, when Leonie returned home and found out this situation, this is from Christine, the older of the two sisters, uh, Leonie flew into a rage, at which point Christine decided to smash a pewter jug over her head. Um, as one does. I mean, what else are you going to do? Uh, at that point, Genevieve, uh, came to her mother's aid, uh, and was, like, trying to, like, stop Christine, too. But then Leah rushed down from the attic and attacked the mother while Christine was egging her on, saying stuff like, smash her head into the ground and tear her eyes out. Leah followed Christine and proceeded to tear out the mother and the daughter's eyes. Uh, without their eyes, uh, Leonie and Genevieve were rendered helpless as Christine and Leah grabbed a hammer, a knife, and another pewter pot and continued continued to beat them. The house is just full of these pewter pots. Pewter is such a I thought that they were dead when you said ripped out their eyes, and I am so horrified at the idea of somebody just ripping a living person's eyeballs out. It makes my face feel weird. Well, their faces felt weird, too, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the final, like, act of, like, disgust, and, like, after the girls are dead, they took Genevieve's, uh, menstrual blood and smeared it on Leonie. Yeah. Uh... It was very personal. Yeah. And I don't think it stemmed all from an iron. Mm. Anyway. Um, the girls then cleaned themselves up... Up, locked every door in the house, lit one candle in their room in the attic, and waited for the inevitable. 
Um, after his wife and daughter never showed up, Renee went home to look for them. He found all the doors were locked to his house and the lights were off except one lit candle, uh, from the maid's quarters, which they were from, they lived in the attic. Um, he sure. went to the police for help to get into his home, being concerned, and they found the two women lying dead in the hallway, having suffered injuries so severe, their faces were, like, unrecognizable. Um, and their eyes were gouged up, which, if you didn't get the point, they're, yeah. Um, Leone, um, her eyes were found in the folds of her scarf around her neck, while Genevieve's one eye was on the floor nearby. Sorry, I just hit my mic. Um, the police went up to the attic to check the maid's quarters since there was a candle and found that, uh, Christine and Leah were naked in bed together. Sure. They're just coming down from the, the high of killing. Yeah. What else would you do? They were hot. Um, they down. They, they immediately confessed to the murders calmly and without any remorse, claiming self-defense. As Christine said, it was her or us. They collected the murder weapons as evidence, which was the kitchen knife, the hammer, and the pewter pot, and when they were questioned, they described a domestic argument, saying that Leone blamed Christine for the faulty iron and the fuse going out, then threatened to dock her wages for the damages. Christine refused to accept the blame, and that's when the argument broke out. So, obviously, they were arrested um, and put in prison until their trial. During prison, they were separated um, for about eight months. Um, during this time, Christine hated being apart from Leah. She became very suicidal and depressed. Uh, at one point, they did allow her to see Leah, and Christine threw herself in Leah's arms. And it was reported that the conversation that followed implied this is, that the sisters actually like nurtured a sexual relationship. I don't know if people are just like going off on the fact that they were, like, in bed together or something, but mm, I don't know. So in July 1933, before the trial still, Christine experienced some kind of fit or episode in which she tried to gouge her own eyes out. Um, she had to be put into a straitjacket, um, and she started... She stated that she experienced an episode like that on the day of the murders. Um, however... They are both described as being mentally fit to stand trial. Mm -hmm. So the trial took place in September of that same year. So during the trial, their defense still argued that the sisters were temporary, temporarily insane during the time of the murder, which I don't ever understand how that's like a, like a defense. Just, yeah. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I snapped for a second, but I'm out of it. I'm fine. Yeah. I don't, I don't. How do you that. prove that, that they, you know? Well. That's always my question. How do you prove it was that? Because I feel like anybody who kills somebody gruesomely like that can be like, oh, I went crazy for a minute. I saw black for a second. And I yeah. Just, I, I don't wasn't know what even there. Yeah. Well, and like their defense tried to cite like family history of mental illness. Like they had a cousin who died in an asylum, a grandfather that was prone to violent attacks of temper, um, and an <laughs> uncle who died by committing suicide but again if like you have a family history of it I feel like it's more of like a chronic thing that you would see it wouldn't show up just the time you killed somebody it wouldn't just materialize <laughs> when you needed it um, the case had a huge impact on the public and was debated fear, uh, fiercely furiously furiously yeah. 
Um, some thought it was the result of exploitation for the workers. The girls rebelled against their mean-spirited masters, reflecting in the poor conditions under which people who worked as servants to the rich lived, which I don't, I mean, 14-hour days are long, but, like, they had a heated room, they got, like, pretty good food, it seemed like they were all taken care of, but They I had think... half a day off. Yeah. I could see... Um, if that's if that's enough to like snap and kill and gouge people's eyes out, I could see maybe snapping like if the woman Leone or whatever her name was yeah. was being like really obnoxious or whatever and like kind of snapping and hitting her with a pot. But I think everything after that point was just a lot of built up rage and personal it offense. Was, and yeah. she was like, you know what? I already hit her. I might as well rip her eyes out and smear menstrual blood on her. And when they, like, went as far to, like, be like, it was self-defense. Really? <laughs> maybe the first hit. The, maybe one The first hit. hit, I get it, but, like, you Not gouge two people's eyes out. <laughs> self-defense is, like, you can't claim self-defense if you go, like, overboard. Like, if you mm. punch me and I hit you back, that's self-defense. But if you punch me and then I run you over with my car, that's not self-defense. <laughs> it has to be, like, equal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I had two other things that I wanted to say. I heard, so, when, like, people go through trauma and they find somebody to, like, trauma bonding could be, like, a good thing because it gets you through the trauma. But then it gets to, like, if it, if you don't, like, get therapy afterwards, it can be, like, Unhealthy. very toxic. And I think they were probably trauma bonded mm-hmm. to yeah. where it was not an, a good thing. Um, and then the other thing, when you said that she tried to gouge her own eyes out, I was like, oh, you know what happened there? The ghost of, like, Genevieve or Leonie or whoever possessed her for a second and was like, you gouged my eyes out? How do you like it, bitch? That's what happened. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, in late, Oct- in late September, that's when the trial ended. They were both found guilty. Um, Christine was sentenced to death. While Leah was given uh, 10 years in prison with hard labor. Um, How did she handle the death of her sister? Hold on. They, <laughs> We're going to find out. They got different um, sentences because they believed that Christine was the dominant out of this these two. And it did show in their relationship. Um, Christine was of average intelligence. And while Leah was of low intelligence, was also like kind of seemed like she was mirroring the personality of Christine occasionally. Um, So it seemed like Christine was the ringleader in this and had ordered Leah to do this. Um, Christine's sentence was changed to life in prison, um, which was common for women in this time, I guess. Uh, She did slip into madness and had intense longing for her sister. She became severely depressed and frequently would go without food. Uh, She was transferred to a mental asylum at uh, Reigns, I think, um, where she died of pretty much wasting away um, in 1937. She didn't last long. Oh, I was going to say that wasn't very long. No, she, yeah. Uh, She did not do well. (laughs) Leah was released after eight years in prison on good behavior in 1941. She went to live with her mother. She changed her name and started working as a a maid in in a hotel. Um, It's believed she died in 1982. However, this came into question in, like, 2000 when a documentary 
uh, claimed that she was alive and interviewed this woman that they believed was her. But the woman that they interviewed uh, was partially paralyzed due to a stroke, uh, which also left her speechless. So Leah could have lived as long as 2001. But she seems to have done something better with her life and gotten better. This documentary crew was like, this old lady is super old and can't talk to us and can barely move, but she could be Leah. And she can't tell us she's not. You know who else she could be? Hmm. Mother Teresa. Adolf Hitler's lady friend. Girlfriend. Ava. Eva. She could also be... You know, Theodosia Burr. Mm. Wow, she'd be old. Oh, shit, she would be really old. (laughs) I didn't didn't do the math. What the point that I was trying to make is that because she can't talk and barely can move, she could be anybody. Yeah. Maybe it's like Age of Adeline where she never ages and that's just Theodosia. Anyway, um, so because we truly really, like, we, I mean, they were charged, we understand that they did it, but we'll never really know the definitive cause, like, could this have been a class thing? Um, Folly Adu has come into this quite a little bit, Drew, oh, if yeah, you remember cool. the Erickson sisters, Drew. I do. Um, I was thinking that when you were saying that Christine was, like, the dominant. Yeah. And I was like, it sounds like she was the dominant. Yeah, so and it sounds like Faliadu. Anyone that doesn't remember, Faliadu is a shared uh, psychosis, and this would have appeared with like Christine, which, based on how she acted after she was caught and went in prison and asylum and everything, I feel like she definitely did have some kind of mental illness. Well, um, it would be Christine would have the actual illness, and then Leah would have the Faliadu. Yeah. So I feel I feel like it's that order, especially with how Leah did well afterwards and being separated from her sister. Yeah. Because um, she, I mean, she lived a, either way, she lived a really long seeming life. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You and think her mom was just a little bit nervous to let her come live with her? I don't know. I would have been. Like, I... I I agree. It seems like Christine was dominant and she was in charge and everything. But if I were the mom, anytime she started to get a little bit mad, I would be like, you know what? You're right. It's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Just whatever you want. Whatever you want. Put the pewter pot down. <laughs> all right. Are we ready to get into my sinister yeah, sister? Sure. Bailey, were you all the way done with yours? Yeah. Okay. That I was it. Remember? If, no. If we we like. Yeah. That was the ending. Leah did great. Christine slipped slowly into madness. Folly do. Choo-choo. Polly <laughs> do choo-choo. Choo-choo. Oh, you know what else? Choo-choo. Billy in the book. No. Mm. Pewter pot. Um, so I am going to tell you guys about the Grimes sisters. Ooh. And that decided, sounds like someone from Chicago. I decided to go a different way with it. Because, so you both did Sinister Sisters where they were sinister. And I chose to find sisters who something sinister happened to them. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. Just a All little right. bit, of, just like a little, uh, a different taste. Playing victim, but okay. Well, I just didn't want, like, if someone out there is listening and they have no, have not had any interaction with a set of sisters before, I don't want them to think, 
all sisters are sinister. You know? That's probably going to happen to somebody. You know, I'm sure we have a listener who's never interacted with sisters before and who is going to well, that's, hear this that's episode and be like... All sisters are sinister. Yeah. Case, because these sisters are not sinister. No. Okay? Good thought. Good thought. Thank you. Is this like a story um, about like sisters that grew up to be like our best friends their whole life? And like, well, um... I bet not. I can tell you they don't grow up. <laughs> oh, great start. Diving in. <laughs> what a beautiful foreshadowing. Yay! I'm excited. Okay, start. <laughs> Alright, so this is about Barbara, Janine, Grimes, and Patricia Kathleen Grimes. Okay. So Barbara was born May 5th, 1941, and Patricia was born December 31st, 1943. Barbara, at the time of this story, was 15 and Patricia was 12, and they lived in a working-class Catholic neighborhood in Chicago, Illinois. They were two of seven children. That's a lot of children. Mm-hmm. They were born to Joseph and Loretta Grimes. So I could only find information other than Patricia and, and Barbara of three other of the siblings. So there are two others that I don't know about. But there was Teresa, who was 17, so two years older than Barbara. Joey, who was 14, who was a year younger than Barbara. Patricia, 12. And James was 11. Barbara was a sophomore at Thomas Kelly High School with, quote, a dazzling smile and she was known as the serious one. Where did Lacey go? <laughs> Lacey? I just looked over from my notes and I was like, that's an empty chair. <laughs> keep going. Can we just keep going? Yeah. Oh, she's back. You're muted, bud. <laughs> I sent a message in the chat and it says, I'll be right back. I'm still listening. I had to go let Nina out. I didn't see the chat. Oh, there it is. There's a little button. I didn't see the chat either. <laughs> All right. Anyway, did you hear the part about Barbara? Yeah. Okay. Dazzling and, smile and serious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Patricia, or as she was affectionately known as Petey. Petey? Was, yeah. Isn't that cute? Mm-hmm. I'm going to call Pat Petey now. Yeah. Do it. I was thinking it'd be cute for like, oh, that's my little sister Petey. But oh. Right? Anyway, so she she was a high spirited seventh grader at Saint Maurice Catholic Elementary School. High spirited? High spirited, yes. Oh boy. Barbara and Patricia have been described as being inseparable. So sticking with the mm. theme of sisters being very clean. Sisters who are codependent? Yes. So, Barbara and Patricia left their home on December 28th, 1956. So, that would have been, like, three days before Patricia's birthday. They left at around 7.30 to watch the, um, the movie Love Me Tender. It's about Elvis Presley. Figured. They were, this was going to be their 11th time watching it. They loved Elvis, I'm assuming. They were big fans. Oh. So uh, they were going to the Brighton Park Movie Theater, which was located about a mile and a half from their home. And their home was located in the McKinley Park. 
The sisters were devoted Presley fans, having recently joined his official fan club. So, big mm-hmm. fan. I want official. I want to have an official fan club. Okay. Um, Is it free, or do we have to pay to join? Uh, you have to pay to join. Oh, oh it's just whether or not I join. I thought it would be like a just the podcast official fan club, but no, this is just the Bailey. I think fan she club. wanted a Bailey. Oh, I mean, no, the whole podcast. Okay. <laughs> I think I know who your number one fan is. Hopefully, it's Pat. Oh, it's you. Oh, you're your. I known? mean, you have That's to love bad. yourself first. Okay. It's Moving called self love. Lacey's gone again. Yeah, she gave a little wave as she left. <gasps> She's leaving. She's letting Charlie back in, I bet. Um, So, Patricia was wearing a yellow sweater with blue jeans, a black jacket that had white sleeve stripes, and a white white scarf over her head. So, if you can kind of picture that. I can picture the jacket. I'm thinking it's like a bomber jacket. Over her head, the good... The scarf? Yeah. Yeah, like, you know... Oh, okay. I was like, is she like doing the like the seventies, like where it's around her forehead? Um, I went to a Nike jacket, or not a Nike, an Adidas one with those stripes going down those sides. Yeah, it's kind of like the same look that I was thinking. Yeah. I think um, she had black shoes on too, so oh. quite a look. Barbara wore a yellow blouse over a gray tweed skirt, a three-quarter length coat a gray scarf, and white bobby socks in black ballerina shoes. They were both wearing yellow. Yeah. Well, they were best friends. Doesn't they mean they had, have to dress alike. They had a, a $2.50. And they originally, like, so their plan was to go watch the movie, but they had a little extra money, so if they wanted to, they could stay and watch a second showing of the film. So, they were going to get 11 and 12 done real quick. Mm. Um, so that was their last time being at home. They never returned home. Mm -hmm. The sisters were seen together near the theater's concession stand around 9.30 p.m. and later that evening on a bus at around 11 p.m. Their mother, their mother, (laughs) their mother Loretta was expecting them back home at around 11.45 that night. So as it neared midnight, she sent her... Um, the older sister, Teresa, and Joey, who was 14 at the time, to check the bus stop. Teresa and Joey waited and watched several buses go by, but their sisters never showed up, so they went back home. And at that time, Loretta called the police and filed a missing persons report for both girls. Um, That report was filed with the Chicago PD at around 2.15 a.m., on December 29th. So, initially, authorities believed that the sisters had run away, but, of course, Loretta did not. Um, Their disappearance would only be seriously considered as a missing persons case, um, and thus appropriately treated as such, by investigators after approximately one week had passed without either girl contacting family or friends. Yeah, that's so. Can we assume they weren't actually like doing anything to find them in that week? Yeah, you can assume that. Cool. Um, At that time, a citywide search for the girls was quickly initiated, and a task force devoted solely to locating them was formed. Hundreds of local volunteers helped, and police 
began conducting a door-to-door search throughout Britain Park, and they started dredging rivers and canals. Mm. Um, Also, many people called in tips, claiming sightings, and even made demands, pretending to be like kidnappers, which was cool. Um, Obviously, none of the tips, none of the sightings, and none of the demands were resulted in anything useful. But because of all of the tips that were called in, the police ended up questioning close to uh, 300,000 people. Wow. Yeah. So, workers at a Chicago Five and Dime store were positive they saw Barbara and Patricia with two sailors listening to Elvis records on January 3rd, 1957. According... Sorry. What? Sounds so silly. Mm -hmm. We saw them with a couple of sailors over there listening to some Elvis. A Minnesota woman who was traveling swore she met the sisters in a Nashville bus station restroom on January 9th, 1957. So these are like some of the tips that came in. So then uh, other theories started to arise that the sisters may possibly have traveled to Nashville, Tennessee, to see Presley in concert. Elvis? With their extra $2.50? Yes. Or that budget show. Another theory was that they um, just left home on their own volition as a means to emulate Elvis's lifestyle. So, in the event her um, that they were actually kidnapped, Loretta did make a public plea. Um, quote, if someone is holding them, please let the girls call me. I'll forgive them from the bottom of my heart. On January 19th, 1957, an official statement was issued from Presley's Graceland estate. So, word wow. got to Elvis. Um, and he, this statement was televised. Elvis told them, um, if you are good Presley fans, you'll go home and ease your mother's worries. He also made a, a direct radio plea to the sisters, imploring the girls to return home to their mother. But that didn't age well. <laughs> on January, so then, so remember, they went missing on the 28th of December. Mm-hmm. On January 22nd, 1957, Leonard Prescott was driving near Willow Springs and thought that he saw two discarded mannequin dolls near the guardrail, which mm. it's never a fucking yeah, mannequin. They always think it's mannequins. Yeah. They turned out, the mannequins, turned out to be Barbara and Patricia. Their naked and frozen bodies were found along Devil's mm. Creek, Cook County, Illinois. The girls' bodies lay upon a flat, horizontal section of snow-covered ground directly behind the guardrail, which extended for just 10 feet before the incline of the embankment of Devil's Creek. I have a photo if you guys I'll show you in a little bit Barbara's body was found on her left side legs slightly bent upwards with her arms up her head was not visible as it was covered by her sister's body Patricia's body was on her back with arms and legs stretched out and her own head sharply turned to the right it is believed it is believed that the sisters had most likely been driven to this location in a car with their bodies then being dragged or lifted out of the vehicle then placed or thrown behind the guardrail their clothes were never found so 
Their father, Joseph, was driven to the crime scene to formally identify both the bodies, which could have, I can't imagine. Could have happened at a morgue. Well, it just seems really terrible to have to do that. Well, I mean, yeah, but also, like, why would he want to see where they were dumped? I don't think it was, like, that, I don't think it was his choice. It's the, and that's why I was, like, saying, like, they could have easily, like, done it in a morgue and not have him, like, personally mm-hmm. come out to see, like, this and is it, where your daughters were and actually, how like, they were left. how they and were left. And in response to that, I said, it's the 50s. So, following Joseph's initial positive identification of the bodies, over 160 police officers from several Chicago police departments, um, along with a lot of volunteers, conducted a search of the crime scene. Which, How many? That's a lot on a crime scene. Well, 160 police officers, but also several volunteers. Sure. I feel like we've got contaminated crime scenes, a lot of things that we talk about. Um, uh, question. Yeah, are um, you wondering if any evidence was found? Uh, no, no, just, okay. uh, just, uh, who's, who's bright idea was that? Okay. Alright. And, okay. <laughs> I'm picturing people driving by and just popping their heads up the room and being like, y'all want some help? Yeah, I we think can that, help. <laughs> I think that it's kind of like that. I think people were just like, we're here to help. It's, it's the y'all for me. Y'all want some help? Y'all want some help? It was Chicago. <laughs> I know. I don't we're know we're in Virginia search, for her. <laughs> this search uncovered little or no real evidence linked to the crime. What? And surprisingly, the search was later criticized due to those organizing the search, allowing untrained, untrained individuals to trample all over any evidence that may have been at the location. I'm, also, I'm also criticizing. You can let me in mm-hmm. with that, too. Okay, Bailey also <laughs> criticized. I also. Oh my. You want to just all three? I'll, I'll criticize. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I will say that I doubt that there was any real evidence there, because it sounds like a body dump. Yeah. And now we'll never know. True. <laughs> Lacey so, over there criticizing again. Yeah. <laughs> Cook County Sheriff Joseph D. Lowman and Harry Gloss, an investigator from the coroner's office, led by Walter McGarren thought that the sisters had been dead for a while and were undiscovered because of the snow. The sisters' frozen bodies were taken to the Cook County morgue to thaw before they could be examined. In their frozen state, several people noticed trauma. Patricia apparently had three wounds in her abdomen, um, trauma on the left part of her face, and possibly a broken nose. Barbara had bruises on her face and on her head, in general, with puncture wounds to her chest. Three experienced pathologists performed the autopsies. Three of them. That seems like a lot. Sounds like a lot of cooks in the kitchen. That's what I was thinking. The exact cause and time of death were never established because of the the frozen frozenness. Mm. Following an a five-hour examination of each body, the experts experts What are they exporting? <laughs> the experts. <laughs> the experts did determine via an examination of the, stu- the stomach contents that um, they, both girls 
had most likely died within approximately five hours of the time they they had last been seen at the theater. Wow. Thus fixing the most likely time of death to the late evening of December 28th or the early morning of December 29th. I'm sorry, I may I think, have I know. zoned out there, but did they ever get to see the movie again? Like, did they make it to the movies to watch the movie before they oh, got taken? Yeah. Or I mean, they said that they were most likely killed at the uh, late evening. Okay. And I think the, the first viewing of the movie was at, like, 8 or 7.30 or something like that. Okay. Well, but I think they probably something got to they loved. watch it two times. Um, in addition, the experts concluded that many of the wounds discovered upon the girls' bodies had most likely been inflicted by rodents, with the actual puncture wounds having most likely been inflicted after death. Oh. Hmm. So, there were no obviously... F- uh, there was no obvious fatal wounds on either body, and toxicology reports revealed that neither girl had been drunk, drugged, or poisoned prior to death. Their bodies were described by pathologists as being marked, markedly clean. Hmm. Then well, I'm going to hop over to how they continued investigating. So a cabbie told police that he saw the sisters on December 30th at, at a diner in Skid Row located on Chicago's Hard Scrabble Madison Street with two men. One of the men had sideburns like Elvis. Ooh. So police Plot twist. Per- so police pursued this lead and tracked down a young drifter named Edward quote Benny Bedwell from Tennessee. Bedwell was 21 and was a former circus worker who had briefly served in the U.S. Air Force. He had jobs at a factory and as a dishwasher when when detectives picked him up for questioning. After several days in custody, Bedwell signed a confession on January 27th, admitting he killed Barbara and Patricia with an accomplice named, quote, Frank. 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 Mm-hmm. As Bedwell told it, he and Frank met the girls at a Madison Street tavern on January 7th. They spent a week together, shacking up at various hotels. That timeline already doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Also, like, what's with all, like, all these people and these, like, young girls being like, oh, they were with older men, like the two sailors, and now this saying that they, like, were shacking up? How old? I'm sorry, how old is Barbara? Uh, Barbara was, um, 15. And Patricia, Patricia was, was 12. Correct. Almost that's, 13. Like, that's... What? It feels yeah. like the 50s. Why? Why? Okay. So, um... On January 13th, after the girls resisted the men's advances, um, Benny and Frank knocked them unconscious, then dumped the sisters in a ditch. Almost immediately... Holes were started um, appearing in Benny's story. Medical experts yeah. concluded the girls died on December 28th or the 29th. And Benny had a pretty good alibi for that night. Mm. He had a uh, time card saying he was at work. Oh, oh. You could leave work, though. True. Um, but, you know, his, his uh, defense 
attorney insisted his uh, confession was coerced. He he was in custody for several days, so mm. and it was the film. Yeah. Um Benny was released from jail on bond February fifth. Um to the chagrin of Cook County Sheriff Joseph Lohman and the uh coroner's um rep Harry um Harry Gloss or the investigator with the coroner, Harry Gloss. I feel like I also agree that his confession was coerced. But were the police and people involved not like, wow, there's big holes in this. This is well, kind of a dumb one to try to get so him to like write down this confession. My the I'm just I'll just skip ahead for you since you're The murder of the Grime sisters has been described by authors as a crime that quote, shattered the innocence of Chicago. So I think that they were just so we have to put somebody in jail for this. Mm. You know? Like the pressure. They were the feeling a lot pressures. of pressure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Harry and Joseph, the sheriff, and the investigator with the coroner's office both believed that Benny and Frank were responsible. However, I didn't find anything that they found somebody named Frank. So... <laughs> Um, the sisters were buried in a previous episode. I had a hard time saying that, so but I, I saw the word and I was like, "Shit!" Oh, <laughs> didn't you say like buried or something? Buried, oh, buried. You said buried. buried. <laughs> I was finding it out. Anyway, the sisters were buried side by side on January twenty eighth in Holy Sepulchre. I feel like, no offense, I feel like I made it through the French a little bit better than you okay. of Chicago. <laughs> hey, you want to spell, you want to say this word for me, bud? Sepulcher. S-E-P. Hold on. She's getting a piece of paper and pen. <laughs> I know what it uh, is. S-E-P. U-L-C. U-L-C. H R E. H R E. Lacey, don't say it. How do you say that word? <laughs> oh, because he's Irish. How do you say that word? I don't know why that would matter. Yeah, you really leaned on that. I forgot where we were. Sepultry, as he said. <laughs> Locking it in, sepultry. Oh. That's cute. I like that he brought poultry into it. What did you, what, how do you say it, Lacey? Sepulcher. Sepulcher. Mm-hmm. I think she's not, even, word at all. she's not even, like, really an English teacher. Get her out no, of here. No, but you know what's funny, it though? In previous episodes, I've, like, looked at Lacey when I don't know how to say a word. Because she'll look at me for every word, regardless of the language. She's like... Or, or she goes, sounds good. <laughs> sounds okay. Yeah, I'm not going to so, um, Harry Gloss, the investigator, disclosed information that, if true, and if the physical evidence had been properly preserved, might have shed some light on the case. He stated that Barbara had been sexually assaulted before her death. This was later reluctantly confirmed by police. They had wanted to keep that detail close to their chest yeah. as a way to kind of filter tips and information out. Yeah. Um, Gloss also claimed that the sisters had trauma that was never explained, such as puncture wounds and bruises, 
and after refusing to retract his statements, Gloss was fired by the coroner, Walter McCarran, on February 15th. So it seems like Walter kind of went a little rogue. Mm-hmm. Not Walter. Harry. And just started disclosing a bunch of information to the public, and police were like, we were trying to do something. Yeah. Um, so several suspects emerged, but nothing stuck. One was Charles Melquist, a suburbanite. He was found guilty in 1959 of murdering another girl, Bonnie mm. Lee Scott, who was 15 at the time. Her nude body was found November of 1958 in a wooded area a few miles from where the Grimes sisters died. Authorities questioned him about Barbara and Patricia after the police found a list of girls, including young women from the Grimes' neighborhood at his apartment, huh. but that was the extent of their inquiry. Another theory is that the sisters died after a liaison with teenage boys from a local gang who took them for a ride, then abandoned them. Local, a local man told police he saw Barbara talking with youths in a youths. car as, Patric- as Patricia watched the night they went missing. One of the boys reportedly told Barbara, quote, you'll be sorry. But that was his tip. Patricia's 12. Yeah. They have to blame them a little bit Does, for their own murder. Right, well, so this man said that he saw Barbara talking to the youths who were in a car, and Patricia was, like, hanging back, like, sis, can we go? That kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Flea was a 17-year-old suspect. He initially was considered one of the prime suspects due to his age but was protected by contemporary Illinois laws that prevented juveniles from being subjected to polygraph tests. However, he was persuaded by the police captain, and he agreed to uh, submit to an unofficial lie detector test. In the course of this test, Flea allegedly confessed to the murders, but with no legal means of using this test as evidence against him, police were forced to release him without charge. Couldn't they just do a regular interview without the polygraph test? Maybe. Or couldn't, couldn't they just wait a year? <laughs> yeah. Maybe he was a scared shitless 17-year-old and he was forced or got scared you know, and just like... Persuaded. Sure, I did yeah. it. I'm sorry. Most like, polygraphs are... Like, they don't even use them in court a lot anymore, right? They're not admissible in court. No, they're court. not admissible yeah. in court. So... Um, in addition, there was a significant lack of physical evidence corroborating his confession. So, even literally the only thing they had was a quote-unquote confession. Yeah. However, I he, was later, he was later jailed for an unrelated murder of a young woman. So, there's that. Interesting. Um, another suspect, Walter Kranz. A 53-year-old steam fi- steam fitter and self-proclaimed psychic Ooh. phoned a switchboard operator at Chicago's Central Police Complaint Room on January 15th, which, to remind you, their bodies weren't found until the 22nd of January. He informed the operator of his conviction that both sisters were deceased and that their bodies could be found in an unincorporated area of Lyons Township. Walter refused to disclose his name to the operator in this phone call, simply stating that he had experienced this revelation in a dream, 
before he hung up. Nonetheless, the operator was able to trace the call to a location close to his home. The park described by Walter in his phone call would prove to be approximately one mile from the true location where the girls' bodies would be found a week after the phone call. Mm. When questioned, Walter informed police that several members of his family and ancestors possessed psychic powers and that he experienced the par- this particular vision after a night of heavy drinking. I also sometimes have visions after a night of heavy drinking. Although initially considered to be the number one suspect for the murders by Belize. And and with handwriting experts also determining he may have written a ransom note received by the mother Loretta prior to the discovery of the bodies. Walter denied any involvement in the abduction and murder. After being subjected to multiple interrogations, he was released from custody. So, in May of 1957, so like four or five months later, Loretta received an anonymous telephone call from an individual who claimed to have undressed and killed her daughters. Although the Grimes family had received numerous hoax phone calls following the girl's disappearance, this particular caller, having ridi- this particular caller ridiculed police efforts to affix blame upon suspects such as Benny and Frank, And then he ended the phone call with information indicating he may indeed have been the murderer. He said, quote, I know something about your little girl that no one else knows, not even the police. The smallest girl's toes were crossed at the feet. This caller then laughed and then hung up. He did it. Yeah. But who is he? The caller. Okay. Loretta died. Um, in 1989 with the case still unsolved Um, and then I'm just gonna this is my last little bit the murder of the Grimes sisters this is I said this before but I'm gonna say it again because Lacey rushed me earlier the murder of the Grimes sisters has been described by authors as a crime that shattered the innocence of Chicago this case is also acknowledged as one of the most labor-intensive missing person and murder investigations in Cook County and remains one of Chicago's must, most infamous cold cases. The end. Yes, Bailey. Two things. First off, um, maybe we would have, like, no more if they didn't uh, assume that they were missing for a week and not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing, you said uh, Barbara was raped? The, yes. Well, they found that she was sexually assaulted. Was, because, I mean, gross sounding, but if she was frozen and there was semen, wouldn't that, like, hold or, like, perfectly preserve the DNA sample? Do you know if they got any DNA off of her? I think that, um... Oh, they're cute. Yeah. I think that what Harry was saying when he disclosed this information, much to the chagrin of the police department, was that they found evidence that led them to believe that she was sexually assaulted, but they were saying that had the crime scene not been so much, like, so detailed or whatever, they could have gotten more leads so I was gonna so, say, like, hopefully they like they could test like DNA like they did with the Golden State Killer and like yeah. 
Maybe um, find so out what happened. Patricia, the 12-year-old, is obviously on the left, mm -hmm. and Barbara the, is the older one on the right. Um, here is... Uh, you can see their bodies. Yeah. There's the guardrail. And then right... You see those rocks on this, the left? It, and there's a steep slope down into a creek. No, he really tossed them like they were, like, nothing. Yeah. Mm. Just like trash. Yeah. I was picturing them kind of laid out, but... No. He really didn't Dump. care. <sighs> Is Little brother? Funeral? I think so. And then there's their gra graves. Oh, they're right buried next to each other. Yeah. Well, they were inseparable, so... Yeah. No, now I'm depressed. Sorry to end note. You couldn't have chosen sisters that just like murdered someone. Had to be different. Uh, you know what? Strangely enough, there aren't a lot of sisters that teamed up to murder people <laughs> that I found. Do you want to? Team up and murder people? Yeah, just team up in general. Oh, we have already teamed up. We're but, doing a podcast. But Lacey's here, so it's a little weird. She wants to do just a sister thing. Um, I would appreciate if you guys team up to murder people that I am not killed because I was a witness to the start of your plan because I didn't ask for you if, to start discussing it if, in front of me. If anything, we need to do you like first. Well, so what I was thinking, I'm just gonna ignore all of this because I feel like it's dangerous. Uh, in like a couple years, I might come back to bite us. Um, you can end murdering. It <laughs> What I was thinking is when we decided that um, our August special would be the Sisters Day, I was like, well, shoot, I should have saved the Eric Erickson sisters. Because that would have been a good one. They're yeah. sisters and they're like fucking Looney Tunes. There was a case that I found when I was looking for my sinister, for my sinister sister. sisters um, that I almost did. And then I was like, no, because first of all, it looks like there's a lot like it might need to be its own thing. And it took place in India. And I will need to practice those words. Like, that's not a quick Google how to do it right before we get started. I'll have to really plan out yeah. how to say a whole bunch of Indian names. I don't want to butcher that. All right. Well, I feel a bit good about this episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we had so, fun. Yeah, I had so, fun. Uh, I always have fun. You always have um, fun? I'm always having fun. Happy, Nine times uh, out of ten, if you ask oh, me what I'm doing, I'm going to say having fun. I'm trying to fucking close it <laughs> down, bro. Lock it hmm. down. Well, that was sinister. And we, and we were, were sarcastic. sarcastic. Damn it. <laughs> Should we take that again? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, who's going to say the next part? <laughs> Let's take turns, okay? Okay. So, um, well, that was sinister. And we were sarcastic. And we hope you keep listening. Bye. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>